Americans are playing video games, lots and lots of video games. While other businesses have struggled in 2020, video games have been prospering. Daniel Rose from Foley and Lardner breaks it all down. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, listeners. So glad you're here. We're talking about video games and the video game industry today. And uh, we've got a great guest joining us. Daniel Rose from Foley and Lardner is here. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks, Lawrence. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is my uh, my producer, Molly McDonough's idea. We were talking video games. She, she was talking about her kids. And so, you know, she found out that I like to play video games. And so we decided to put this episode together and I was doing the research and I suspected that video game consumption had gone up just organically because it seems to be growing each and every year, but especially during this pandemic when people are <laughs> shut in a little bit more than normal. And so I just wanted to touch base with you on that as an opening question, Dan, you know, just in terms of the growth, you know, what have you seen in the video game industry this year? Uh, it's been huge this year. Uh, it's uh, about nine percent up overall, which is uh, you know well beyond what everyone was expecting. But you're right; yeah, everyone's inside because of the pandemic, with access to streaming technologies and downloadable video games. You know, and people naturally turn that way for uh, for some escapism and some entertainment. Particularly, the uh, the new consoles are giving things a bump, and there'll probably be a bigger bump at the end of the year with the uh, new console from Sony and Microsoft coming out too. All right, so esports. So Daniel, I think I had a totally different understanding as to what esports were. And so I kind of thought it was, you know, the real version of a sport translated into um, into a video game. And so like you've got Madden for football and you've got FIFA for soccer and, and all of that. But as I've come to discover, it's quite a bit more. So, you know, maybe just tell us briefly real quick what esports is as a general category of video games and then get into some of the new opportunities that are developing within that subsegment of video games. Sure. Yeah. Esports includes uh, sports games like Madden and FIFA and everything, but it's more about competitive gameplay. Uh, and that can be two players head to head or or teams versus teams. And it goes back, it dates back to, you know, early 80s with uh, Space War and tournaments uh, with uh, essentially like asteroids, but two players playing ships against each other. Uh, it's now huge. And, and sort of every arena of of games uh, have some sort of esport connection. So uh, there, there's fighting games, which is the traditional uh, you know, Street Fighter or Tekken or Mortal Kombat. There's uh, a first-person shooter game, such as Fortnite, Call of Duty, Counter-Strike, and, and there's a bunch of tournaments about that. There's the sports games, too, so Madden and FIFA, and there's professional sports leagues and tournaments around these things. Uh, and then also uh, multiplayer team-based uh, battle arenas. There, there's the Overwatch leagues that got started up about two years ago and, and are still growing. Uh, but it, it's huge. It's uh, This past year, uh, they, there's about $950 million in revenue and investment within that sector of the industry. So it's, it makes up a substantial portion of the video gaming industry overall and growing. Well, as I understand, Daniel, some of these gaming events are, are becoming as big as the Super Bowl in terms of attendance and online. I guess that would have to be online attendance. But what are some of the bigger events that you're aware of? Uh, so some of the biggest ones, there, there's a series of games called uh, Multiplayer Online Battle Arenas, where it's a, a team versus teams, usually five players or six players on a side against the other side, playing these sort of uh, top-down games where, where you control a character to go out and, and take over points and, and interrupt the other team trying to do the same thing. Two of the main ones, League of Legends and Defense of the Agents, uh, sometimes called Dota, uh, have been around for about a decade now and are particularly popular in South Korea. And the tournament that they had this past year had uh, over 100 million virtual attendees. 
Oh, wow. People watching online. It was uh, over the course of three or four days. And uh, at least last year, before the pandemic, when they were able to, uh, they filled two separate arenas in Beijing. Wow, that that's uh, <laughs> that is something else. I mean, it's just amazing how uh, video games have grown since the old days of like the Nintendo eight bit days. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. One of my uh, pleasant discoveries of this year, you know, obviously, I, I, you know, being shut in, I, I'm no stranger to video games these days. Probably playing a little bit more than I normally do, and I don't play that much. But uh, you know, I like to play on nights and weekends uh, when I can't sleep, especially. But uh, I discovered this indie series of hand-drawn games. One of them was called uh, Machinarium, and there was a relate from the same company, Creeks. And I really like those because they're real simple. You could play for five minutes, you could play for thirty minutes, whatever you wanted to do. But I just really like the hand-drawn aspect of them, and you interact with the background to solve puzzles and work your character through a storyline. And there's these beautiful voiceovers, and so I th- for me it was a really great experience. But as I was learning more about them, because I wanted to figure out who was making these games, what I discovered is they're really cross-platform. And so my previous exposure to cross-platform was that you could play it on your PC, you know, if you got one of those gamer machines, and you could also play it on your Xbox or maybe your Sony PlayStation. But what I discovered was that, you know, these are part of streaming services. They're part of like your mobile environments. You can have them on your uh, cell phone. You can have them on your tablet. I'm like, wow, that is really interesting. So they're, they're really pressing forward to making these games portable for the player, regardless of the system they're on. And, you know, I was re- doing a little reading about that. It seems like there's kind of a new energy being put into this confluence of streaming consoles and cloud gaming. And since you like to play games, tell us a little bit more about that world. Oh, sure. You're absolutely right. Uh, a lot of the major players are getting into uh, cloud gaming or streaming gaming, they refer to it as. So Amazon has uh, its project Luna is now out in beta. Google has Stadia uh, and GeForce um, uh, has uh, GeForce Now This uh, from NVIDIA. And all of these are, are streaming services with virtual machines running in a data center somewhere. So you don't need a powerful machine locally. You don't need a console. You can, you know, as you said, use your phone, use your tablet, use any machine you have. And they're streaming this video from these virtual machines direct to you. Uh, so as long as you've got a high bandwidth, low latency connection, it theoretically should be a seamless uh, experience. It's not quite there yet. And there's still some issues around that bandwidth and latency. But that's a small technological problem. It looks, you know, it's probably going to be solved in the next year or two. And for most people, for 99% of gamers out there, it'll be the way of the future. You know, it, it's it's equivalent to uh, to Netflix going streaming rather than mailing out DVDs to everyone. Yeah, those are the old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and as the technology gets there, I think that's definitely the way things are going to go for most people. It's probably not for pro gamers and, and for esports fans where, you know, having that custom machine, it's almost a philosophical need as much as a technical one. You want to have your machine that you can customize, that you can mess around with the lighting and, and change the components yourself. Because there's sort of a you know a feeling of ownership to it and, and and connectiveness to it, but for you know casual gamers, absolutely, you know, streaming is the way of the future. I want to talk a little bit about the work that you do. And so, you know, when I was uh, doing my research for this episode, I wanted to kind of learn about some of the typical issues that somebody that represents gamers or video game companies might come across. And so some of it didn't surprise me. Now, obviously, intellectual property rights, you know, there, and obviously you're going to have some employment issues. But some of the other issues associated with the age of some of the players, you know, the, the primary demographics between 18 and 34, some of that surprised me, some of the other kind of sub-issues that you deal with. So maybe you could kind of walk us through some of those uh different unexpected areas of law that uh, I guess go hand in hand with the video game industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it won't surprise anyone to know that games have a, there's a relatively uh, toxic fan base out there. 
uh, and and a lot of the what do, players. What do you mean by that, that toxic fan base? What does that mean? Well, it's it's an area that is kind of fraught with harassment, cyberbullying. Uh, it, it's been a male-dominated industry, both uh, professionally and then among the fandom, for a long time. And then as that's changing, you know, some people push back against that. There was the uh, the Gamergate scandal a couple years back that really sort of. Uh, you know, it, there were separate issues for it, but a large part of it was just this change from an arena that had been, you know, dominated by a, a relatively small group of uh, people to something where everyone had access to it. It was it was really the change from gamers just being, you know, the nerds in, in their parents' basement that you hear about to really everyone. Because at this point now, pretty much everyone does game. You know, the, the population of gamers is now, you know, upwards of 80% of the population. So Oh, wow. Yeah, and you know, and people naturally push back against that because it was sort of their clubhouse. Uh, and as things change, you know, they have to change with it. Because a lot of the players come up through that too. In esports, it's a it's a constant issue. You know, many of the uh, many of the professionals, many of the stars are under eighteen themselves and and came up through this, and you know, they haven't quite matured yet. And the companies and teams that are backing them really have to look out for issues around harassment and, uh, you know, their social media policies. And one of the things that we help with too, even though it's not, it's not exactly a legal issue, but it's still a counseling issue, which is helping, uh, address these issues, uh, with social media and brand management and image consulting and coaching for the kids so that they can avoid these issues. You know, it's something we've dealt with in other more traditional sports, you know, with, uh, you know, young basketball and football players who sometimes get into trouble legally and, and, you know, being able to coach them both to avoid these and then to get out of issues when they have them is an important part of what we do. Well, you know, as this becomes more mainstream, do you think that, uh, you know, as it becomes a more kind of a mainstream sporting event, do you think you'll start to see these competitive teams show up in high schools and perhaps in college and maybe one day there'll be a video games uh, section in the Olympics? What do you think? Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I don't know about the Olympics. Uh, there's certainly a lot of pushback there, but you know, you may see it. And, you know, certainly in, uh, in farm teams coming up through high schools and in professional leagues, I mean, the Overwatch league that was starting up a couple of years ago is a growing professional league with, uh, a multi-city format and, and, and city located teams and, uh, are drafting from semi-professional teams in, into their professional leagues. Uh, so it's very much sort of modeled on traditional sports uh, like like football or soccer uh, and are trying to grow in the same way. And I think there's there's a large market for it there. The collaboration earlier this year between NASCAR and iRacing really pointed to a, a demand for entertainment kind of regardless of the venue. Uh, it was one thing that you know people were really wondering about how much crossover would there be between traditional sports fans and esports? Uh, you know because you've got the gamer market on the one side, but, what about, you know, people who don't play video games but do watch sports? That collaboration between NASCAR and iRacing really showed that there's a huge overlap, that, that people will watch any entertainment regardless of the format. Yeah, that's been one of my biggest uh, surprises that, is that there are people out there that will watch videos of other people playing video games, like they'll put them on YouTube. So that, that's just been sort of a crazy, uh, you know, crazy discovery for me. But uh, well, let's close it out for today. I want to learn a little bit more about your favorite video games and why you like them so much. Oh, sure. I, I've been really enjoying the uh, the latest round of open world RPGs uh, from the major publishers. Uh, it was uh, Ghost of Tsushima from Sucker Punch Productions. It was, uh, you know, absolute incredible graphics, uh, you know, stunning and a wonderful story under it, too. 
Uh, right now I'm playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla by Ubisoft. Uh, and again, it, it's amazing graphics, it's open world play, and, and really lets you, you focus on the story, I think, and the real world building that's going on. Uh, for esports, I, I still play a lot of uh, World of Warships and World of Tanks, which are both by the Wargaming Group. Uh, there, I, I enjoy the uh, the team versus team competition aspect to it. It's, they're relatively short games too, so you know, 15 minutes at a time, it's easy to jump in and jump out during the middle of the day. And the pace is a, a little bit slower than the uh, the major first person shooter games, which I just can't keep up with anymore. <laughs> so I got a couple of recommendations for you. So what I've really enjoyed this year, maybe it was a little apropos because of the pandemic was State of Decay. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's sort of a... Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. I love that one in there. I guess they're coming up with a sequel pretty soon. But here's one. Here's one that's going to be really small. I wonder if you've heard of this one. So there's a guy by the name of Jesse Spiro, and he made this game called Graph Paper Dungeon. And he every now and again, I'll throw a couple of new levels on. It's really small. I think it's just a one-person operation. But it's kind of like that uh, wood marble, like labyrinth marble maze game thing, you know, you have when you were a kid. But he does this, and it's like on a tablet or your or your cell phone. And the background is sort of like his fantasy world as drawn on graph paper. So you have like all of these dungeon creatures that'll come after your marble, and you somehow have to have, navigate all the obstacles and everything. But it's all it's really fun. That one you can play for just a couple of minutes if you just want a quick break. And it's just kind of a weird game. So anyway, just wanted to give that a shot and uh, make a recommendation to you. That sounds great. I'll definitely check it out. All right. Well, Daniel, thank <laughs> you so much for your time today. It was really fun talking with you. Anytime. Happy to help. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And also thank you to our team, producer Molly McDonough and our LTN crew for their dedication. Excellence. Much, much appreciated. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) 